Um, but again, my name is Ed Griffin Hagen. I'm one of the pastors on our staff at Church on the Trail. Merry, Merry, Merry Christmas. What better place to be as we celebrate the birth of the King than to be in a, in a church fellowship on a Sunday morning? It is a beautiful, beautiful thing, and I'm, I'm grateful and I'm thankful that we are, that we get to be together today. And I, you know, and it's not. And the, when I say we get to be together, I, I mean that's what I mean. I mean we get to be together. What an honor! What a privilege to, to worship and to celebrate Christ together uh, as the body. So, last night, if you were here last night, uh, you saw this little 15-second video of my three-year-old grandson. And he said, uh, Jesus was a baby just like me. Luke chapter 2. And James was in Luke chapter 2 and he quoted it. I was getting ready to come up and start correcting him, but he, that was awesome. But we ain't going to be in Luke chapter 2 today. We're going to be in 2 Samuel chapter 9. And you're like, ain't you supposed to be in Luke chapter 2 or Matthew chapter 1 or somewhere in the Gospels? Somewhere in the New Testament at least. Lonnie leaned over and said, aren't we a New Testament church? And I said, no, not. I said, it's one Bible, baby, from Genesis to Revelation. So we're going to be in 2 Samuel chapter 9, but just hang with me. Trust me, we're going to find Christmas in 2 Samuel chapter 9. And so the, the, the table, I got my bottle of water on the table. The table. You know, the table speaks of family and hopefully we're not blocked but what better thing to be blocked by than the cross but you know the I remember growing up back in the stone ages and our family would have dinner together around the table like every night you know my dad we're having dinner around the table every night and it was cool because we would actually you know we'd sit around the table we you know now I probably sat like this ready to run but you know, we had dinner together. We would talk to each other around the table. And the, the table, the kitchen table or dining room table, wherever. Well, have, raise your hand if you ate as a child, if y'all had dinner together around a table. I mean, for sure we did. It can, the table can, is kind of the heart of the home, often at least. You gather, you eat, you spend time together. It just speaks, the, the table just speaks of, of, of family. And now we used to spend more time together, you know, at the table then than people do today. You know, the, the average time, I'm a statistics person, and I'm, so I'm going to quote you a couple of statistics. The average time back in the day was 545, and the average amount of time that we would spend at the table was about an hour, about 60 minutes. Today, the, the average time, if people sit around the table, is, is uh, 7.57 p.m., and the average, because football, soccer, baseball, piano, cheerleading, you know, whatever it is, whatever it is, the average time, if the family checked the box that says we do sit down and eat, it's 7.57, and, and screens have replaced the, the, all of the conversation, you know, whether it's an iPhone or an Android or an iPad or a television or something, and I mean, I'm guilty of that too. We've got a television in our kitchen that stays on if we're in the kitchen, but... Um, the average time if a family spends around a table today is 27 minutes instead of 60 minutes. And studies show, though, that families that, that, that there are positive benefits, that when you sit around the table and you eat and you fellowship together, that obesity decreases, that the, the, the incidence of obesity decreases, that 
relationships are much, familial relationships are, are much closer. There's all kind of benefits. There are better sleep patterns for families that sit around the table. Can we just maybe agree that it would be a good thing if we all sat around a table and had a meal together? Would y'all agree with that? Yes. Whatever it is, whether we do it or not, just agree that it would be a good thing if we could do that. Yes. The Christmas story is all about family. It's Christmas and the table. Christmas is God inviting you and me into his family. It's an image of God. I kind of said this a little bit when we gathered to pray before church today. That it is in this image of God doing everything necessary to make a place at the table for me and you. Whatever it took. You can almost see God in heaven, and I know it's not theologically correct, but he's sitting on a throne in heaven, and he says, I'm going to do whatever it takes for everyone to be able to sit at the table with me. Think about it. That place at the table is what was lost in the garden. That's really exactly what was lost in the garden. In the garden, Adam and Eve had a place with him at the table. In, in, in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve uh, had table fellowship with the Lord. They walked with God when we don't really know, we don't really know how long that was. The, we don't know the length of time between creation and the fall in Genesis chapter 3, but I think it was probably a long time. They hung out with God and they were in really in perfect relationship with him for a long time. But however long that that time period was, suffice it to say that table fellowship with the Lord is what was lost in the fall we lost the right to be seated at the table. But that which was lost, Christmas seeks to restore and, and give back to us. God promises to, uh, or promise to crush the serpent and to restore our relationship with him. And Christmas is where we kind of see that begin to roll down history. So 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 1 says, and David said, is there, is there still anybody left in the house of Saul that I may show kindness to for Jonathan's sake? I want to set this up a little bit, and then we'll jump back into the text. You see three characters in verse 1 of 2 Samuel. You see David, Saul, and Jonathan. Saul is the first king of Israel. Jonathan is Saul's son. And David ends up being the next king of Israel, and Jonathan becomes and remains his best friend. So David, Saul, and Jonathan. God told Saul that the kingdom was going to be ripped away from him. David is the next king of Israel. And Saul's not happy about the fact that David is going to be the next king of Israel. And when the prophet came to Jesse, Jesse was David's dad. When the prophet came to Jesse's house to anoint one of his sons to be the future king. And I can't remember. I know I'm supposed to. I'm a pastor. But I can't remember how many sons Jesse had. I think ten. Am I right? Oh, come on, Lonnie. I think it was ten. <laughs> But David didn't even have a seat at that table. David wasn't even in the running to be the king when, at least in, in, in God's eyes, he was before the foundation of the world. But in people's eyes, David wasn't in the running. David was the run of the litter of all of Jesse's sons. It was going to be one of his other uh, brothers. But y'all, when we expect God to go this way, he goes that way, and, and he chose David. He chose in his sovereignty. He chose David. Now, from that point on, God... He chose him to ultimately be the king. He wasn't the king right in that, in that moment. But from that point on, God is working in David's life. 
David grew in wisdom and favor and stature. He proved himself a mighty. He proved himself a mighty warrior in Saul's military. In fact, we all know that David is the one that put it on Goliath, and and actually. Um, um, Saul was so mad and so enraged with jealousy that he schemed all kind of different schemes to get David uh, killed. Even as his life, David, as his life became incredibly difficult, God began to use him more and more and more and, and, <clears throat> and uh, in incredible ways. And Saul would throw David into seemingly unwinnable fights and David would win every time. He even David even ended up marrying Saul's wife and and I'm excuse me, Saul's daughter. And Saul, whatever Saul did, he couldn't he couldn't get David knocked off. And I know you're all sitting there thinking, okay, where in the world is the Christmas story in in all of that? It's coming. Just hang with me and trust me, it's coming. So you got David, you got Saul, you got Jonathan and David becoming best friends. And we know this because Saul said to his son Jonathan, he said, Boy, you're gonna end up being, you're gonna be the next king. But Jonathan says, no, no, dad, God's hand of favor is clearly on David. And Saul gets so mad, he even tries to kill his own son. Well, Jonathan survives, and Jonathan and David's uh, friendship survives. And Jonathan, Jonathan, Saul's son, says to David, his best friend, he says, brother, promise me one thing, that promise me that when you're the king, that you'll be kind to my family. He says, look, man, I know my dad is nuts, but promise me that you'll be good to us. And David says, what in the world are you talking about? He said, you're going you're gonna to look, be looking after your own family. And Jonathan says, just promise me that when I'm gone that you'll look after him. Like he knew that something was kind of looming out on the, Jonathan knew that something was looming out on the horizon. And David says, of course I will. Like, of course. Of course I'll take care of your family. And from that moment on in scripture, we don't really even know whether Jonathan and David ever even see each other again because the text doesn't really tell us. It doesn't record any more interactions between the two of them. And at that time, David is, is on the run to stay away from Saul because Saul's trying to kill him. And for like 10 or 15 years, David's on the run. And by the way, that is when we believe that most of the Psalms were written by David. It's like we have the book of Psalms because David went through a, an extremely dark and difficult uh, time, period of time. So we don't know whether David or Jonathan ever saw each other again. And eventually uh, Jonathan dies and Saul dies. And actually they died at the same time in the same battle in the Jezreel Valley. And that brings us up to speed. So 2 Samuel. Look at verse 1 again then we'll run through it. David said, is there anybody still left in the house of Saul that I may show kindness for Jonathan's sake? So David is thinking about this promise that he makes to Jonathan. Is there anybody I can show kindness to for his sake? For the, for the sake of my best friend. And verse 2 says, Now there was a servant of the house of Saul, whose name was Ziba. And they called him to David. And the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. I'm Ziba. I'm your servant, David. And the king said, This is King David. The king said, Is there not still somebody of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? And Ziba said to the king, There's still a son of Jonathan. He's crippled in his feet. And the king said to him, where is he? And Ziba said to the king, he is in the house of Machir, uh, the son of Amiel at Lodabar. Lodabar is a place out in the sticks. Lodabar, Lo in Hebrew means no. And Debar is like a pasture. So it means, it literally means no pasture. But it's, a, it's like being, way, it's like being in, in Mock, Georgia, way out in the sticks somewhere. So he's the, in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel in Lodabar. 
And then King David sent and brought him from the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, at Lodabar. And Mephibosheth, y'all say that one time, one, two, three. Mephibosheth. Okay. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David, fell on his face, and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he, Mephibosheth answered, Behold, I am your servant. So now you got this fourth character shows up. His name is Mephibosheth. And he's Jonathan's son. David had no idea that Jonathan had a son because he was born after David was on the run um, from Saul. He must have missed an Instagram post or something, whatever it is. He didn't, he didn't know. He had no idea. He couldn't have. Verse 7, and David said to him, do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. And I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father, and you shall eat at my table always. And he paid homage and said, what is your servant? This is Mephibosheth saying this to David. What is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? And I think about one of the Psalms that David wrote, you, you know, at some point, and he's looking up at the sky, and he's looking up at the moon and the stars, and David says, who am I? Like, who am I that you, the creator of the universe, would even care one iota about me? And I'm telling you, he's thinking about this deal with Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth says, what is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? And then the king called Ziba, King David called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, all that belong to Saul and, all to, and, and to all his house... I have given to your master's grandson. Your master's grandson is Mephibosheth. And you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him and shall bring him in the produce that your master's grandson may have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall always eat at my table. <laughs> now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. And then Ziba said to the king, according to all that my lord the king commands his servant, so will your servant do. So, so Ziba is saying, whatever you say, I'm going to do it. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all who lived in Ziba's house became Mephibosheth's servants. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he ate always at the king's table. Now he was lame in both his feet. Now, I know that that totally doesn't sound one stitch like the Christmas story, but this is, I believe this is exactly what we got to understand if we're going to walk into Christmas year after year with the right mindset, and that's this. You and I are Mephibosheth. We are a bunch of Mephibosheths. Edward, Paul, Mephibosheth, Griffinhagen. Like, that ain't going to fit on the back of a jersey. Griffinhagen <laughs> don't even fit on the back of a jersey, much less Mephibosheth hyphen Griffinhagen or something. But what do I mean by that? I want to tell you what I'm, when I say that that's us, here's what I mean. Four or five, four or five kind of things that I mean. Number one is this, life doesn't always go according to plan. It doesn't. For Mephibosheth, life had not gone according to plan. If we're going to understand the Christmas story, if we're going to understand the power of Jesus' coming, it is because Mephibosheth, just like him, just like Mephibosheth, our lives haven't gone exactly according to plan. If if you're 40 and you look back at what you thought it was going to look like when you were 20 and 25 and 30 and 35 and now you're 40 and it doesn't quite really look like that. You wanted to be a doctor. You thought by, by 35 you were going to be in a little white house with two kids, a dog, seven fish, and, and, and a bunch of cats or something. But you're struggling and you can't even have children. 
Your credit's wrecked. You can't even buy a house. Amen. And you're thinking, when, <laughs> amen, that's right. But you're thinking, like, when did, when did we give up on our dreams? When did I give up on my dreams? Or you wake up and, and you're divorced, and that wasn't in the plan. Maybe you're 17, and you went out with the, kind of the wrong set of friends. You got mixed up in the wrong crowd, and now you got a criminal record. Or you got thrown out of college. Or, I don't know, your life just hasn't gone according to plan. Mike Tyson said everybody's got a, y'all know who Mike Tyson is, right? Yeah. Mike Tyson said everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the mouth. So life's punched you in the mouth. Like, I get it. Well, Mephibosheth was five years old. We know from another part of scripture, and we're going to get to that in a second. But he was five years old when dad died, when Jonathan died. Same day that his grandfather, Saul, died. He's five years old. How different would that guy's, Mephibosheth's life have been if those two hadn't died? He'd be living in a palace. He'd have his own staff. He'd have horseback riding lessons at 2 o'clock and piano lessons at, at 3.30. He'd be sleeping on the finest linens and have the finest of everything. But the day that Saul died, all of that changed. The, the day that Grandpa died, all of that changed because there's fixing to be a new sheriff in town. And y'all, I don't know if you know this or not, but when, when a pre new president in the United States, when a new president is elected, like on inauguration day, when the old president walks out of the White House to the inauguration, everything in the White House is just like it was the day before. But when the, the old president walks out to the inauguration, they get after it. And every single thing in that White House is packed up. Everything is changed out. The old is packed up and shipped out. Clothes, furniture, everything that they brought in. And then all the new president stuff is brought in and set up. And all that happens on Inauguration Day. Well, there's a new sheriff in Israel. And Mephibosheth woke up sometime when he was five years old. He woke up as the prince living in the king's palace. And in one day, all of that changed. The king is dead. The king's son is dead. And David is now being crowned the king. Well, Mephibosheth heard the chatter in the palace. And he was too young to probably have the vaguest idea to really understand what was going on. But everything is about to change. New home, dad's dead. We don't really know anything about the mama, but we know that his life definitely did not go according to plan. So number one, things don't always go according to plan. Number two is that people in his life that he trusted let him down. That's another reason why we are just like Mephibosheth. People in his life that he trusted let him down. Have you got people in your life that said they'd be there and they're not? They left. Have people betrayed you? We trusted that mom and dad would stay together, but they didn't. He said he would love and honor and cherish you in sickness and in health forever and ever, but, but he didn't. Well, we have all in some form or fashion, every one of us, I would imagine, have experienced betrayal. Mephibosheth didn't have a dad anymore. Mephibosheth didn't have a granddad anymore. He'd had a nanny or a nurse. Look at 2 Samuel chapter 4. It says, Jonathan, the son of Saul, and this is five chapters earlier. Jonathan, the son of Saul, had a son who was crippled in his feet. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel. I said they died in a battle in the Jezreel Valley. And his nurse, Mephibosheth's nurse, took him up and fled. And as she fled in her haste, he fell and became lame, and his name was Mephibosheth. 
Well, this verse tells us what happened to that joker. There was fear and there was, there was panic in Saul's staff. They were freaking out. The fear was that, that uh, they were all going to be rounded up and executed because that's what they did in that day when there was a new sheriff coming in. So, so this woman, this nanny, she grabs up uh, the little five-year-old kid and she runs. And he's slowing her down. And you know what? She's thinking, hey, I don't work for Saul anymore. So she dumps the kid. Well, the, when, the, when the kid, we, we know that when she dumps him, he must have broke his legs or his ankle or his feet or his back or something happened that he was, uh, that he was in the scripture, that he was crippled in his legs. Whatever happened, she let him down. She let him down. She was the only loving face, and she had let him down. She let him fall. Well, we have all had people probably in our lives at some point that have let us fall. But you know what? We have probably let people fall as well. And you know why? Romans 3, baby, Romans 3. We have all sinned, and we all fall short of the glory of God, every one of us. People have betrayed us, and we probably betrayed people. People have let us fall, and we've probably let people fall. So number two, number three reason that we are like Mephibosheth is that he was in danger, and he had no way, there was no way for him to run. He had no idea, the kid, Mephibosheth, he had no idea of David's promise to Jonathan. At least the text doesn't tell us that he did, so I, I don't think he did. Had no idea. Everybody that heard that David was looking for anybody in Jonathan's family that was left thought it was this Game of Thrones kind of thing that they're looking, they're looking for anybody in that family was to take them out, to kill them, to execute them, to cut their heads off. Anybody that could be a threat. And Mephibosheth knew that David's folks were coming after him and he didn't have any way to run. He thought he was going to be rounded up and thought he was going to be killed because he was part of Saul's line. And he was living in Lodabar, this desolate place out in the sticks. And the first thing that David says to Mephibosheth is, don't be scared, don't be afraid. Where have I heard that before? James quoted it, Luke chapter 2. Don't be afraid, don't be afraid. I knew we'd get to Luke chapter 2, somehow or the other. <laughs> Look at verse 9 in Luke chapter 2, 9 and 10 and maybe 11. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not. You heard him say it a minute ago. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Ain't it amazing that this story, 2 Samuel, it echoes the greatest story ever told as this person who is in great danger, had nowhere to run, finds mercy. This guy finds mercy at the hands of a good king, a good king who wanted to show him kindness. So number four, why we're like Mephibosheth is because there was a good king who wanted to show him kindness. Y'all, there's a good king that wants to show you kindness. In this case, there was no reason for David to show him kindness. He didn't have to. For sure he didn't have to. The normal thing to do in that day was to consolidate power and take out any potential adversaries. Well, we too are in danger. You and I are in danger because we are sinners who have fallen and are moving every day closer to physical death. Every day 
closer to the day that we're going to die. Merry Christmas, y'all. <laughs> but the reality, since the day that we were born, every day we're moving ever closer to that day. And what's going to happen? We're going to be standing before a righteous judge in judgment. And that judgment, according to Jesus, is, is either an eternity in hell or an eternity with him. Well, why should we listen to him? Why should we, you and I, why should we listen to Jesus? Because there's so many other spiritual leaders, gurus, um, religious, quote, leaders. Buddha, Muhammad, I don't know, Hare Krishna, figure, there's tons. of. Why are we going to listen to Jesus? Well, here's a big reason that I am, because the joker walked out of a grave alive. That's why, thank you very much. So if your prophet or your guru or your spiritual leader, if your guy can go get dead and your guy can stay dead for three days and then your guy can get alive and walk out of the grave, I'll listen to him. But in then, until then, I ain't listening to him. I'm listening to the one who did exactly that. In history, and it happened, I'm listening to him. It's because of the resurrection. So what about this, this, uh, this heaven and hell thing? And it's not that uh, have you done more good than bad. The question is not have you done more good than bad. We want to make it about that. But in every other religion on the planet, that's what it's, that, that, if they make it about anything, that's what it's made about. But the real question is have you sinned? Well, and we've all sinned and we've all fallen short of the glory. And the wages of that sin is death. So if we die physically... While we're dead spiritually, we remain lost perpetually. Y'all get that? If we die physically while we're dead spiritually, we remain lost perpetually. And that's what the Bible teaches as hell. It's a godless eternity of torment. And that is not what God wants for you. Because he is a good king who is seeking you out to show you kindness. He's not seeking you out to smite you. He's seeking you out to show you kindness. He wants to bring you back to this table. He wants to, this table fellowship that was broken in the garden, he will hunt you down to make a place at this table for you. He wants to show you kindness. That's Christmas, y'all. Christmas is God crashing into the world, intruding into the world to show us kindness. N.T. Wright famous theologian, he said this, should be on the screen. He said, Christmas is God lighting a candle, and you don't light a candle in a room that's already full of sunlight. You light a candle in a room that's so murky that the candle, when lit, reveals just how bad things really are. The light shines in the darkness, says St. John, the apostle, and the darkness has not overcome it. Y'all, Christmas is a rescue mission. It is a rescue. It's radical, and it's messy, and it's a rescue mission. It's the beginning of, of God's way of saving us. There'd be no Easter if there were no Christmas. There'd be no crucifixion and no resurrection if there weren't any incarnation. There would be no crucifixion and no resurrection if Jesus had not been born in that manger. The kindness of a king who would come to earth and show us kindness so, like, here's Mephibosheth in the palace, on the floor, on his knees in front, of, in front of the king, and he's like, I got nothing. 
That's what, he's, that's what he's saying. I got nothing. He's expecting to get his head chopped off. He said, I, I bring nothing to the table. I got nothing. And what does the king say to him? He says, don't be scared. Don't be scared. I'm going to be kind. I'm going to treat you like a son. Because I made a promise to your dad. See, y'all, when we come to the table, we got nothing. But he wants to show us kindness. So number four, there's a good king that wants to show you kindness. The last point is this. He was given a seat at the royal table. Mephibosheth. David says, I didn't come to arrest you. I, I didn't come to smite you. I just love saying that word. I didn't come for all that. He says, I came to adopt you. Matter of fact, he says, for the rest of your life, dude, I want you eating at the table with me. David tells his staff, his cabinet, his whatever, his butlers and all the people in the palace. He tells them, he said, this, he said, this is his seat. Stitch his name on the back of the seat. Do something. Tells his staff, that's his seat. Put his name on it. And they'd escort Mephibosheth in, had to carry him. Because remember, he's lame in his feet. They'd carry him in, they'd escort him, they'd sit him right there, fold, unfold a little napkin, put it in his lap. Mephibosheth's probably sitting around the table and they do all that. And he, he kind of realizes probably finally he's in a place where people actually want him there. He's like, there's a good king and this good king is smiling at me. He's there, this good king is there to ask me how my day was. A guy that loved my dad... And is now showing love and kindness to me. And so here's this guy from Lodabar in the, in the sticks. Who's now in Jerusalem. In the capital. In the king's palace. Sitting at the table with people all around him to share stories with. And to laugh with. And to love on. Food that is just lavishly prepared. And it's all so awesome. And when the table's cleared off and the coffee comes in and the pies and the cakes and the, the, the red velvet cake and the, the brownies and whatever all it is, the best part of life are happening around that king's table. Good food, great relationships, this rich life. Well, that's Christmas, y'all. God wanting to have that with you and for you to have that with his people. And Christmas shows the extreme lengths that God would go to in order to have that fellowship with you. What did it take to get us to the table? Well, it took God's own son being born in a filthy, nasty, dirty stable. That's Christmas. It's God's son being born in the very shadow of King Herod. Greatest builder that ever lived. It took God's son being born literally in the shadow of Herod's palace. Well, that's Christmas. God's son exchanging his righteousness for your sins. And he did it on the cross, y'all. That, that's Christmas. That's Christmas. God's son redeeming and buying you back by his death. That's Christmas. Jesus Christ walking alive out of a grave. That, that's Christmas. Sending his spirit to live inside of believers 
to seek you out in Lodabar and invite you into his city. Not because he's mad at you. No, but because he wants to bless you and he wants to adopt you and he wants to, to prosper you and he, he has good plans for you and he wants to show you kindness. So he invites you so that you can take a seat at the table too. He wants you to be his son. He wants you to be his daughter. But I don't deserve it. Well, that's the point. That's, that's just the point. It is for Jesus' sake. David blesses Mephibosheth for Jonathan's sake. God wants to bless you for Jesus' sake. He wants to adopt you into his family, and he wants, to, he wants you to feast at the royal table. And you know what? This table, it's just cool. What Mephibosheth must have realized as he sits down, after he'd been there for a little bit, and he's probably sitting there and he's thinking, I have felt like an outcast my whole life. Raise your hand if you ever felt like an outcast. Mephibosheth sitting there, I have felt like an outcast my whole life. At least since I was five years old because of my lame legs. But he said, you know, he's probably sitting there at that table and he's thinking, nobody can see my legs when I'm sitting at the table. I can't see them. He said, when I'm at the table, I'm just like everybody else. He said, I got Absalom sitting next to me. Y'all know who Absalom was. Probably the handsomest of of the sons. I'm sitting there, I got Absalom next to me. And you know what? He, here, here's what he probably thought. Here's what the reality was. His condition was hidden by his position. Think about that. His condition was hidden by his position. Because now he's sitting at the table with the king. Y'all, your history does not have to determine your destiny. It doesn't. The world will scream that all up in your ear. It doesn't. Your history does not have to determine your destiny. Because when you are wrapped in the robe of righteousness, your condition is hidden by your position. Don't you ever, ever forget that. Jesus wants you at the table. He, he wants you at the table with him. He totally wants you at the table. Do anything to get you at the table. So how do you get there? Well, you be humble and you sit down. You be humble and you sit down. You surrender to the king. You submit to the king and then you sit down. That's what we do. You can't do it by yourself. Mephibosheth said again, he said, Who am I that you should notice me? I'm nothing but a dead dog. Y'all, we bring nothing to that table other than the sin that made the table get set. That's what we bring to the table. I'm a dead dog. I'm not a dead dog anymore. I was a dead dog for 36 years. If you're a believer, you were a dead dog. You know, words are important. You're not, you not are a dead dog. You were a dead dog. So you humble yourself and you sit down. Be willing to take a seat. Be willing to accept the promises. Accept the righteousness that he offers. In Ephesians, Paul writes this. And you were dead in your trespasses and sin. It doesn't say in Ephesians, you were sick in your, dead, in your trespasses. It doesn't say you had COVID in your trespass. No, it says you were dead in the sin. And verse 4 says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love for which he loved us, you were dead but God. The gospel is not about bad people becoming good. It's not about bad people becoming good. It's about dead people becoming alive. Because we were not 
bad to become good. We were not sick to become well. We were dead, and now we're made alive. Look at that whole little passage in 4, 5, and 6 of Ephesians chapter 2. It says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Y'all, when we say yes and we humble ourselves and we sit down, we get to be an ambassador for Christ. We get to be an ambassador for Christ. We get to invite people to come to the table with us. We get to invite people, hey, come over for dinner. We get to do that. Not we got to do that. We get to do that. We get to go to Lodabar, otherwise known as Mock, and we get to find people and invite them to the table. Jesus puts it like this in Luke chapter 22. And James, where, you can come on up if you want. He says this, Luke 22, verse 29 and 30. He says, I assign to you as my father assigned to me a kingdom that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom. Y'all, this is an image of the kingdom. The table is an image of the kingdom. You know what we need to do? We need to add leaves to the table. We need to add a leaf on that side. We need to add a leaf on this side. You know why we ultimately want to build a, a church building down on the land, you know, a thousand yards down the street? It's so that we can add leaves to the table. It's so that we can invite people to come have table fellowship with the creator of the universe. We want to have a table a hundred miles long, wide, for people to sit and people to have fellowship with the Lord. Y'all, that's, that's what that is. that is. That is Christmas in 2 Samuel chapter 9. We want, we want to add leaves, add seats, add leaves, add seats, add more leaves, add more seats. That's what the body of Christ does. And I would say to you today, if you've never, two things, if you've never humbled yourself, surrendered, submitted, and sat down, for Jesus' sake, let it be today. For Jesus' sake, don't go to sleep tonight having not at least considered that offer to have a seat at the royal table. You get to sit at that royal table until, until that day comes when you physically die and then you're sitting at that royal table in the heavenlies. Like, y'all, what better deal is that? So if you've never done that, consider it today. It's, it's just simple as it can be. It's just humble yourselves, surrender to him, accept that you're a sinner, believe that that death on the cross took care of that sin, believe that he walked out of the grave three days later, Lord save me, he'll save you. Because you know what? No one gets denied a seat at the table. If you want to sit at the table, you can sit at the table. Because he doesn't say no. He doesn't say there's no vacancies at the table. That ain't how it works. And if you do have a seat at the table, I am begging you every day as you walk and talk and see friends and family, find a way to invite them to the table. Find a way. I don't mean beat them upside the head with a Bible. That's not what I mean. Find a way to show them kindness and be a light in a dark world. Jesus is attractive. Do y'all get that? If, if, if you allow Jesus to, if you allow him to work through your hands and feet, light is attractive. 
When people are in darkness, they want to be in the light. They may not say they want to be in the light, but it's attractive because he is attractive. So find a way to invite people to the table if you're already sitting there. If you're not sitting there, you can't invite nobody. Y'all with me? All right, let me pray. Lord, I... For anybody that is here that doesn't know you, that doesn't have a seat at the table, Lord, I pray that they would consider the offer that you make. Lord, that they would acknowledge they're a sinner, that they could pray right now. Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know that I am in need of rescue. I believe what your word says. I believe that you don't deny entrance into the kingdom to anybody that humbles themselves and sits down. So, Lord, if there's anybody here that would cry out to you for salvation today, Lord, I'm lifting them up to you. And, Lord, my prayer is that this body, this local little assembly in Columbus, Georgia, that we would be reflectors of your light in a lost world. Lord, you don't light a candle in a lit room. You light a candle in a dark room. And we live in a world that's dark. So, Lord, let us be that beacon on the hill. Let us invite people into table fellowship with you. Lord, let us understand that that's what was broken in the garden. And Lord, let us understand that you will do anything to reel us back in. Anything. Lord, let us reflect your light. Lord, we love you and we thank you. And it is in Jesus' name. Amen.